Take uh, your copy of God's Word, if you will, and turn to the book of Jonah. Jonah, Jonah chapter 1. We're going to look at that in a few moments. And let me add my voice to the praise that has been given for the extra hour of sleep we will get next week. Huh? I am so looking forward to that. I was thinking about that when Dale was talking earlier about your aunt, right, uh, who you were talking about. My dad is almost as bad. He will change his time, but he will remind you constantly what the old time was. Like he coming up, he will um, he'll say, well, yeah, I know it's 8 o'clock, but it's really 9 o'clock. And what's funny is he doesn't adjust his sleep patterns. Every year, like so, like he's going to bed at 8 because it's really 9. Well, you think he would adjust it back when you go to the, to the spring forward. He doesn't do that. I told him before long he's going to be sleeping all 24 hours because he's just adding this. But he, he will. He'll always, oh, Leslie, uh, sometimes I, I tell her that, and she says I'm becoming my dad, you know, kind of deal. But, you know, I've got to go to bed. It's already supposed to be. But uh, looking forward to that time. Hey, Jonah chapter 1. We have a few weeks together on Sunday night uh, before the holidays hit. It's hard to imagine that we are upon the holiday schedule pretty quickly. Uh, I know for my wife and for the school folks, they are already counting down. It's like four weeks till Thanksgiving break. Isn't that what you said, Les? And uh, they are so, so happy you think my wife is quiet and reserved? When she talks about these kinds of things, the charismatic spirit comes out of her. <laughs> Maybe not here so much, but she is so looking forward to it. So just in a few weeks, we're going to, we're going to be hitting all the celebrations of the holidays, and we'll have our M3 with our children, and we'll have our, um, our caroling. We'll have all those things going on. So as I was looking at the schedule of the few weeks we have together, I wanted to be able to come and share with you maybe a series, a short series, uh, from the book of Jonah, and talk to you somewhat about who our God is, our missionary God, how He has been a missionary God, Old Testament, New Testament, wherever you find God in history, He has been about His mission and His purpose. And I want to share that with you. I hope that it will encourage you and will bless you in these next few weeks. Jonah chapter 1 Again, many of you know this story so well, and you were taught this story when you were in Sunday school years ago, but I hope that you'll kind of rethink it with me just a bit and maybe allow it to settle in with you in a fresh and new way. Beginning in chapter 1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So here you have a call of God. God comes to his prophet and he says to him, go. You hear this again so many times in the scripture, right? Where God just comes to his people and he says, I want you to go. In the New Testament, we call it the great commission of how we are to go into all nations. But here he just comes and he says, I want you to go. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, Jonah, who is this guy? We don't know a whole lot about him. He lived in the 8th century B.C. 
Uh, we do know that. Why? Because we're told that in 2 Kings chapter 14. That's the only other real mention of Jonah's historical background is 2 Kings chapter 14. We'll have some reference to him in the New Testament, and I'm going to talk about that, the sign of Jonah, as we finish up this series in a few weeks. But as far as we know, he lived in the 8th century under the reign of King Jeroboam II. He was from a little place called Gath-Hefer. Gath-Hefer. That little place, you might imagine it as Dubach, Louisiana. It wasn't of much significance. It wasn't much there. I love Dubach, by the way. They have a chicken festival, right? If you go up there pretty often or so around the festival, you'll see Dale Oden doing the chicken dance sometimes. It's a nice place. And I'm sure this Gathifer was a nice place as well, but it's kind of just out in the, in the middle of nowhere, just north of Nazareth, as a matter of fact. And it's just kind of out in the country. So you have this guy named Jonah that's from the country that lives during this time of Jeroboam II, which is a great economic time, but not much of a spiritual time. Even in the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, they didn't really have spiritual revival. They didn't really have renewal. You had some down in the south in Judah with the kings, but up north they were all bad kings, and it seemed like it was constant rebellion against God. So here Jonah is living in this country that's rebellious against God out, out in the middle of nowhere, and God speaks to him. Now, Jonah's name means dove. I want to come back to that later. And his daddy's name, Amittai, means truth. So here he is, the son of truth, living out in the middle of nowhere, in a time of spiritual decline, and God speaks. I love this about God because God often cho chooses those folks that are just kind of out in the middle of nowhere, doesn't have a great name, I mean, doesn't have a prosperous name, doesn't have a name that we know much about. God just, isn't it amazing how God has built his kingdom on just average, ordinary people? When I read through the scripture, that's what I find. Some uh, months ago, I was having a conversation with some folks about our missions going. And as I was talking to one of the ministers in this other church about missions going, he was talking to me about how, um, how God calls and God works in so many people's lives. But it seems like most of our missionaries are coming from the larger churches. I was talking to them about the cooperative program and how through the cooperative program, all of our churches, large, small, we can contribute to the kingdom. And I said, I said, that's what God wants us to do is be united. And no matter what size of church, we're giving, we're supporting missions. And he said, yeah, but you know, even if we don't do the CP, really, to be honest, all the missionaries are coming from our larger churches, all our pastors, ministers. I said, what? What? You really believe it? Now, I'm grateful that God has put us in a larger church and we see quite the mission. But don't you know that God is calling people from every size church? I, I said, you know, I resent it just a little bit because this boy grew up in a very, very small church. And I know that God, when he spoke, spoke just as real in a very, very small church as he does in a very, very large church. So I know that God called me. And there are missionaries, there are people often that you see who are being called from every place. He just calls the average ordinary individual. I love it in the, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, the, oh, the religious leaders are so amazed that fishermen, 
that average ordinary individuals have such power in their presentation, such power in their presence. They are amazed. They even marvel over it, the Scripture says. Dr. Luke will tell us in the book of Acts that they cannot believe that these are ordinary individual folks because there's something powerful in their ministry and work. We call that the Holy Spirit. Because it is not about your name or reputation or anything else. It is about God getting a hold of a person and saying, I need and I want to use you. And here Jonah's just kind of one of those guys. Now I know he, he is one that is certainly recognized in the church's life. Most of the time now within the church context, you mentioned Jonah. Everybody knows there was a big fish and there was Jonah and all that kind of stuff, right? But in this day and age, I'm not sure they knew Jonah too well. But God knew him. And God knows those people that are not known well in our, in our community and in our churches because God speaks to those people. And here it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah. This guy from gath a guy from a rural area of the northern kingdom of Israel, during a time of spiritual decline, God spoke to him. And he said, I want you to go. The word of the Lord came. Now, I don't know exactly how this happened. We're not told, are we? We're not told if the word of the Lord came through a dream or some kind of revelation. We know that prophets dealt with the Lord uh, in their own way, and God could speak in so many different methods or avenues. All we know is there was a definite recognition in Jonah's life that this was from God. A definite recognition that this was from God. Now, I do believe primarily what God does today is speak through His Word. I think this is His revelation. I think overall, when we come to hear a word from Him, all we have to do is open His Scripture. And He will speak to us, and the Word will come to us. Now, I do believe the Holy Spirit speaks, and He illuminates His Word, and He allows us to see what we're called to do. I do believe that. But Jonah understood, Jonah understood this was from God. Even whoever writes this, and I think somebody else writes it. I don't think it's Jonah. I think it's a third person. Now, it's a true story. I'm going to talk about that later, maybe in a few weeks. But it's a true story. But I believe somebody else wrote it down under the inspiration of the, script, uh, of the Spirit. And they wrote it down about Jonah. But they're showing us that Jonah knew this was from God. There was no doubt. You ever get a word? I mean, when you read the Scripture and you know it's a word just for you? When God has just spoken? I love the way... Uh, some years ago, I, I, I heard Fred Wolf, and some of you know Fred, and he, I had him in Zachary to preach for me, and Fred just sat down and he said, you know what, there are times when God just gives you a word, when you're just reading through his word, and it's like, that's yours. That's the personal word for you. And you know the Spirit will speak, and you know it's from him. Like when I surrendered to the call of ministry, I was leading, I think I've shared with some of you, I was leading music at a small church. Blue Springs, Mississippi. Ever heard of Blue Springs? No. Was very close to the prosperous, very well-known Blue Mountain College. Very close. And I was leading music there at that church for a revival that night. And uh, the preacher was preaching, Dr. Brother Tracy Quillian. And Tracy was up. Man, he was on fire, okay? Tracy was one of those that could spit to about the sixth row. And you could hear him bellowing from one end of Union County to the other end of Union County. It was, he, was a, he was just a young man back then, and uh, what a message he brought. I don't remember the actual scripture he used, 
All I remember is God moving in my heart and life. And I went forward. I, I was supposed to lead the invitation. But how do you lead the invitation when you know you need to be the one responding to the commitment? So I just went up uh, to Brother David. I told him that God had called me to preach. I knew it beyond a shadow of a doubt. He, uh, we got through with the invitation. He turned around. Brother David said, Reggie's come. And he's done what, I think he said something like, he's done what most of us knew he was going to do. Uh, he surrendered to the call of preaching upon his life. And uh, just so you know, he will preach this coming Sunday morning <laughs> here at Blue Springs Baptist Church. I looked at him like, I didn't say I would do that. But you don't, you don't question your pastor, especially when you're working on staff. Right, staff? <laughs> so I said, I said, absolutely. And I preached that Sunday morning. I knew God spoke. I'm going to tell you, even to this day, I'm six, I was 16 years old. So what, 25 years uh, have passed now, and I know that God spoke to me. I knew He did. And here's Jonah. Jonah knew the word of the Lord came. There was no doubt. It wasn't like a little questionable call or questionable kind of word from the Lord. The word of the Lord came in whatever way. And the Lord will come in different ways. Again, primarily through His Scripture, but His Spirit will speak in, in different ways to us and will, and will show us what the call is. And what is the call? The call again is to go. God says go. Verse 2, arise, go. Here in those two words, the immediacy of what God expects. Like God expects you to immediately go. Arise, get up right now and go. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. He says, I want you to go to Nineveh. Now, this might have surprised Jonah somewhat. Because, again, if you look around the spiritual climate of Israel, the northern kingdom at this time, I told you it's in decline. Not much is happening for it. No revival, no renewal, not many people seeking the Lord. There's always a remnant, but not many people are seeking the Lord. You would think Jonah is ready for a call to the nation. Jonah may have, arise, go, and he may have been expecting to hear, go to your brothers and sisters here in Israel. But God somewhat throws a curve to him. And God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. Nineveh? Nineveh's 500 miles away. Nineveh, Nineveh's known for its wickedness. Nineveh? Why would God care about Nineveh? Because listen to me, God has always been concerned about the nations. It wasn't just the New Testament with the Great Commission that God all of a sudden got concerned about the nations. God has always loved the nations. And God has always sought to include the nations in His plan. When He chose the nation of Israel, He chose them, according to what Isaiah says, He chose them to be a light unto the nations. Right? Israel was supposed to live in such a way that all of the nations would see the Yahweh God that they served, the one true God, and that the other nations would bow before Him. God has always been concerned about the nations. He was concerned about the nations before Lottie Moon. He was concerned about the nations before Matthew, uh, Matthew's Great Commission. He's always been concerned 
From the very beginning, when sin entered into this world, God was concerned about what He was going to do to provide salvation. He knew what He was going to do. He knew from the very foundations of this world, He knew that Jesus Christ would come and provide salvation, not just for a, an elite ethnic group, but for all nations. But here God says, go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh, that great city. Now, Nineveh, uh, it wasn't as big of a player on the, on, the world's, uh, on the world scene at this point. It's going to be. I think I mentioned to you that Jonah was ministering in the 8th century. So let's say somewhere between 780 to 750 B.C. And God's calling him to go. What's ironic is Nineveh, Assyria, will rise to power and at 722 B.C., toward the end of this century, what will they do? They will actually come and destroy the northern kingdom. So here God is working, God's calling him to people who are enemies to some degree, but will become enemies. And he says, I want you to go to this great city. This great city today, uh, if you were to go and try to locate it on a map, it would be in the modern day country of Iraq. Just across the bank from present day, uh, the Tigris Bank, uh, from present day Mosul. Some of you have heard that uh, city, unfortunately, because of some of the conflicts we have had and we have seen. But this Nineveh, it says, their wickedness has come before me. One paraphrase said of this passage said that um, they smell to high heaven. They smell to high heaven in their wickedness. Wickedness brings death, and death always brings a certain type of smell, right? I mean, it, it's amazing. Right now during hunting season, with all these kind of creatures moving in and out, right? You've got to be careful when you're driving home because these hunters are running them out of the woods, right? And you'll see things. Uh, Hogan and I have, uh, had, we went to Shreveport here the other day, didn't we? It was you. I did ride with you. I must have had a weak moment. Um, we went over to the hospitals, check on some people. Don said, oh, man, look at that hog that's been killed there. I don't know if any of y'all been to Shreveport yet, but it's been on the side of the road for about two to three weeks. It's lovely right now. You can now, I think, smell it before you even get within a mile or two of it because death and that type of, it, it, it smells, it stinks. And, and literally what God is saying is, I smell their wickedness. I smell their death. It has come up before me into my nostrils. I see what they're doing. And Nineveh, Assyria, the kingdom of Assyria, they were wicked to the core. They put wicked in the word wickedness. I, I'm not going to share with you all the things that they would do to the people that they... Um, conquered because we do have children here but I'm going to tell you it was harsh it was terrible it was violent what they would do and what does God say I want you to go to those people I want you to go to those people he said I want you to cry out against them why because a holy God cannot tolerate such wickedness why? Because a holy God still shows compassion upon the nations, even the pagans. 
Why? Because God was going to do something. God was going to work in their midst. You go. Go to the nations. Go to Nineveh. Go to this wicked people. God says go. And Jonah says no. God says, I want you to go. And Jonah says, nah, not happening, God. Oh, look the way he delivered the message to the Lord above. Verse 3, but Jonah arose. This is the same verb that's used in verse 2, arise. So it starts off well. Like what did God say? God said, arise, go, arise. And the Bible says, Jonah arose. So you read that and you're thinking, good for Jonah. He's doing exactly what God said. It's kind of like Abram or Abraham. Remember when God told him to arise and to take Isaac? It says the very next morning, early in the morning, what does he do? He, he will arise and he will take him. What faith and obedience. You look at Jonah and you say, okay, Jonah rose just like God said. But he didn't go in the right direction. The Bible says that he arose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord. Tarshish. Our best understanding of this city is that it was a seaport in Spain. He goes down to Joppa, modern day Jaffa, which is a part of Tel Aviv. He goes down there, he's going to get on a boat, he's going to pay the fare, and he's going to a seaport in Spain. Now, again, some of you took geography. A little bit of geography in school? Yeah. Yes. Some of you took that. I took a little bit of it. Of course, mine was Mississippi geography, and just like it was Mississippi grammar and Mississippi English, we had our own distinct form, okay? But as best as I remember, I can see modern-day Iraq to the east of Israel, right? Basically northeast. 500 miles. Spain, it's kind of over there. Would you say that to the west? And if I were to do a little scaling of the map, it might be about 2,000 miles away. So understand, Jonah went in the opposite direction. He didn't want to have anything to do with the Ninevites. He just said, you take me as far away as you can. He ran in the opposite direction. Why? Well, most would say he was afraid. Most would say, again, he was probably afraid of the Ninevites. Okay? You remember what I said about their violent nature? And now you put a guy from the rural place uh, there in northern Israel, you take him and you send him right in the middle of Nineveh and, you and he is sent there to do what? To tell them they're wrong. To tell them there's judgment coming. To tell them it's going to be bad. Think about that a moment. Most natural human inclination would say, you ought to be afraid. You ought to be afraid. Before we beat Jonah up just a few moments, understand, again, he knew their reputation. He knew who they were. 
and there seems to be fear of the Ninevites themselves. If I were to read chapter 4, verse 2, though, I'm going to get ahead in the story just a little bit. He also confesses that he's afraid that they'll repent. Isn't that interesting? That Jonah the prophet has faith in God, faith in God that the people may repent. Because he'll say in chapter 4, verse 2, like, I knew you were going to do this, God. That's one of the reasons I wasn't coming. Hmm. Most of us preachers are happy when God brings a work of repentance. But maybe it was that in Jonah's core, he couldn't imagine the enemy, these violent people, being excused or shown compassion, I should say, shown compassion by the God of heaven. Not their enemy. Not this, not this group of people. And maybe that was keeping him from going. I will tell you this. Fear stops us from fulfilling God's will and our mission. God, fear will always paralyze us and stop us from doing what we're supposed to do. I think about it all the time. Things that we have go on. Fear can stop us from ministry. You know, I always try to be, let, let's think about here. I, I think about ministry here on this campus and beyond, and I always try to be smart and wise. I know there are liabilities and there are things that we have to be careful of. I know that. But you know what? We shouldn't allow those kinds of things to paralyze us from doing what God has called us to do. Yes, we live in a culture that is trying to instill fear into the church. I met with the deacon nominees this afternoon, and I preached a little message to them. It wasn't bad, was it? It was all right, Leon, you think? It was Dwight. It was okay. Dwight. <laughs> it was okay. Preached a little message to them, and what did I tell I told them that we as a church, as a people, we've got to be willing to stand against what culture is trying to teach us and share with us. And it may be tough for us because it's going to get worse. Don't think it's going to get better right now. It's going to get worse. But we cannot adopt the cultural norms. We have to be people that are committed to the Scripture. But fear of those things, fear can paralyze us from doing work. Fear, fear of doing what... Are you ever afraid? God comes to you and He says, I want you to do this. I want you to follow me in this way. Is, is there a moment from time to time when you're a little bit fearful about what that might lead to? God says, hey, I want you to talk to your neighbor about Christ. I want you to talk to your brother, your brother about Christ. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I think about it, it's so easy for me to share with a stranger much more for me to share with a stranger than it is sometimes my own brother. Because I'm concerned. I don't want to drive him away. I don't want to injure the relationship. But yet, if God calls us to do those things, and I do believe he's called us to be witnesses into these people's lives, shouldn't we do that? Well, if my neighbor 
hears me talking about Jesus too much, he or she may think that, you know, that they can't have anything to do with me and I won't see my neighbor anymore. Isn't it worth the risk? Shouldn't it be worth the risk that they would know Jesus as their Lord? Even the possibility of it, then for you never to say anything to them about who Christ is. But I understand, look, he's afraid. And, and there are times when fear will paralyze us. May I, be, may I be just very honest with you? I was a little fearful when I came to the state of Louisiana. Not because they were all like Ninevites. Well, some of the Baton Rouge people are like Ninevites. I don't know if you've been there, but kind of. But I remember like when, when the call of God came upon my life and I was supposed to move from South Mississippi, Pine Grove, a church that I loved and adored, a church that had been good to me and ministered to me, especially through my years of seminary. And all of a sudden, God was ripping me up. That's what I tell people. I felt like I was ripped ripped away from that place, literally, violently ripped and placed in the city of Zachary, in the town of Zachary. And to go there, it was just different. Leslie and I, we just, listen, we homebodies. We are from the state of Mississippi. I thought I would always be in the state of Mississippi. I told our deacons this afternoon, I, I really thought, I thought I would live in Saltillo, Mississippi. I would, um, I would go to school maybe elsewhere, but then I would always come back and I would live on the, what Leslie calls the compound, the family compound. Of course, I should have known better. She told me we were never living on that compound. <laughs> but there was a part of me, I thought, you know what? I can't imagine. I never, as much as I love you in Ruston, I'd never heard of Ruston, Louisiana when I was growing up. Never. Mm -mm. I'd, I really didn't hear Baton Rouge too much. I know it's a very sheltered life I had, but I'd never really heard of Baton Rouge. I heard New Orleans. Heard New Orleans. I was thinking to myself, you know, Reggie Bridges in like that culture, that's just, that's just not me. It's just, are, are you sure, God? And, and there was some fear and trepidation. There was some fear of the size of the church. There was some fear of the things that had happened before I got there because the church was, had gone through a lot, a lot of difficulties. I was 27 years old, and I thought to myself, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. There was a lot of fear, but fear will paralyze you. Fear will paralyze you from doing what God wants you to do. If God calls you and he says, this is what I want you to do in your life. And listen, this is not just for preachers and missionaries. God's calling every one of you to certain moments, certain tasks, certain responsibilities. And if God calls you to that, and he says to you to go, go across the street to your neighbor, go to your family, whatever else it is, you can't allow fear to paralyze you. Well, Jonah, he fled. He fled. He found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare. Some commentators actually believe that, that he sold just about everything that he had. And he paid the fare or possibly even rented the whole ship and the crew. I don't know if he had that kind of funds, but the wording of this says that he kind of paid what was necessary so that he could get out of this area. Get away from God, he thought. Tony Evans, Tony Evans said, Running from God's agenda can cost you time, money, health, peace, and joy. But make, make no mistake, 
it will cost you. He says, God picks up the tab so often when we do what He calls us to do. Like, He provides the resources, right? If God says, this is what I want you to do, then He's going to take care of you and provide exactly what you need. But when you go in the opposite direction, it will cost you. And He paid, perhaps sold everything that He had. He was gone. He had uh, made this deal with the Phoenicians who were there and headed towards Spain, thinking He could get away from the presence of the Lord. I'm not sure about Jonah's theology. You would think he'd have some good theology. And, and maybe what this means is he just left the fellowship of the Lord, because certainly he did leave the fellowship. Maybe he had subscribed to what so, much, so many were thinking in that day and age. You, you realize in the Old Testament time, they thought there were a lot of like local deities, like this God was over Egypt, and this God was over Moab, and this God was over Israel. So they believed that these, God had, these gods had geographical type of, of uh, boundaries, that these were the gods. So, so some have, maybe Jonah had picked up on some of that cultural thinking and say, said to himself, I just got to get out of here and then I'll be fine. Because the God here that's spoken to me, you know, maybe I can just get away from him. I'm getting a little ahead of myself because next week's message we're going to talk about this. You can't really outrun God. You can turn, you can say no for a while. You can try to do it. God will let you. God, hey, God will let you run for a little bit, but He'll not let you outrun Him. No, He will not. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, He's not going to let you outrun Him, He's going to come chasing you down. And he's going to chase Jonah down. Because you cannot outrun the presence of the Lord. You may break your fellowship with him for some time. You may not have that communion. But God is eventually going to get a hold of you. See, I, I'm, I'm one of these, like I'm a perseverance of the saints kind of guy. I know we in Southern Baptist life, we've often said once saved, always saved. I, I like perseverance of the saints because it just means that the true saints going to persevere because get this, if you're a child of God, you're in his hand and he's going to keep you. You might, you might uh, run off in the far country for a little while, but he's going to get your attention. He's going to bring you back if you're his child. I just believe it. It happens. You cannot outrun his presence. And here's Jonah. God says go. Jonah says no. And there may be a few things in your life right now you're saying no to. I want you to think about it. Has God clearly spoken to you about your relationship maybe with your family to be restored? Your relationship with somebody that you need to share the gospel with? Hey, that you are a part of a certain mission opportunity. This morning we had a baby dedication in the blended service. And I prayed specifically that God would save the child, but also use the child. Are you willing to put your kids and grandkids on the altar of the Lord and say, God, if you choose them to go to India or China or wherever else, God, I'm okay with that. You think about it. Because there are a lot of people right now that are holding them back. And God's calling some of these in the generations. And some parents and grandparents are probably saying, no, God, no. 
But what God is saying was we must go. Because just as God cared about those in Nineveh, he cares about those in India and China. He cares about those in the Middle East. He cares about those in South America and in Africa. He cares about the nations. Are you willing to say, God, you use whoever and whatever in my life. I am fully yielded and submitted to you. God, I hear your call. And I respond, Lord, with my total submission. You can run from God, but you cannot outrun his presence. Stop running. Give yourself to him fully and follow his will for your life and your family's life. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you. We thank you again for this night. We thank you for the word that you've given us. And God, I pray, God, I pray for us in this place that we'd be totally and willfully submitted to who you are and to your plan for us. God, it's so easy for us to become fearful about things. So easy for us to hold things back. But God, I pray that we wouldn't run in the opposite direction. Rather, we would run into your embrace, into your will. God, speak to us now. Because I'm convinced that every person in this place, you've played, you have called to specific tasks and responsibilities. And God, I pray that we'd be submitted and that we would say yes tonight. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?